I've entitled the message this morning, Responding Well to Jesus. And last Sunday, we kind of took a drink from a fire hose as we looked at Jesus talking about the future events. And even then, we didn't talk about all that we could have said. Uh, But we try to focus on what he was trying to convey as he talked to the disciples, answering one of their questions. What's going to happen in the future? And they were a little bit confused about that as they thought some things were going to happen almost sequentially in a short period of time. And he, he broadened their view of what was going to be happening at the end of the age. There was going to be some things happening really soon, but the end of the age. Well, then, then he moved on. He went from uh, looking at the future back to the future. He, went, he was now looking at going to the present about what was about to happen. And as I was looking at that passage, it's what in the Bible would be called an historical narrative. It's, it's, it's reading about the story of what a person is now doing and speaking into people's lives. Uh, what I wanted to do is just it, put it as simple and straightforward as I could. And, and really, it speaks about the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is uh, you, you got to get Jesus figured out. One way or the other, you got to come to conclusion. You can't, you can't stand or sit on the fence too long because this is the issue. Who is Jesus and who is Jesus to you? I'll just share this by way of open confession. In the first service, you need to always examine what I say because sometimes I say things I don't even know I've said them. I was, uh, I was talking about uh, what is happening in an election year, uh, a local election in, in Lake Arrowhead. And I said, no, I, just, I did it again, Lake Arrowhead, Lake Forest. I said that I live in Lake Forest. It's three miles down the street. And in Lake Forest... Uh, they are trying to decide who's going to be on the city council. Well, one of the individuals who is the present mayor, and he's looking for re-election, uh, wrote a book a while back, and it was about the question that we have been posing over the last couple of weeks, who is Jesus, history or hoax? Now, he's come to a conclusion slightly different than mine. He thinks it's all historical, no, hysterical. He thinks it's all a hoax, where, where I would believe that what the Bible presents about Jesus is actually true. That Jesus is who he claimed to be. But what I'd like you to do, just, just for fun, turn to the person next to you and ask them, who is Jesus to you? Just go ahead and ask the person next to you, who is Jesus to you? And if you don't have anybody near you, you just grab somebody. <laughs> who is Jesus to you? Now, as you're doing that, over the last couple of weeks, I've had opportunity to talk to people who don't go to our church, and I've asked them that question, who is Jesus to you? And I've got all kinds of different responses. And the interesting thing, sometimes people respond, well, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how I would, would, would respond to that. And then other people respond with a particular type of description who they see Jesus. Some see him as just a teacher. Some see him as a religious leader. Some people say, no, he's my Savior. He's my God. Uh, but really, when you think about it, that's the question you've got to answer. Who is Jesus? Um, my friend, I actually know him, uh, who is running for re-election. He, he thinks Jesus is just someone that historians have somehow made up and what we read in the Bible is not true. He, he would say the reason Jesus came into existence is because Joseph and Mary got frisky and it happened the natural way. He doesn't see it as a, a supernatural birth. He doesn't see some of the, the accounts about Jesus going to Bethlehem. He says that, that, is, that is ridiculous because no one would go that far to, to go to a census. They would just have their own t- hometown. And he cites a variety of things that somehow... Uh, establish his points. The only thing is he's only read in certain areas, and he hasn't looked at other scholars who would, who, would re, who would be able to answer every one of his objections. But however you come to a conclusion, you, you need to decide who Jesus is. 
And once you decide who Jesus is, then I would say, then be his messenger and ask other people who is Jesus. And no matter what the response back is, then you have opportunity to engage in conversation. And if they're not ready for it, you just back off. But if they're they're willing to talk about it, um, then we can really look at, well, who is Jesus and why do you believe what you believe? And let me tell you why I believe what I believe. And and let's, uh, let's go down that path together. Well, this morning, in many ways, that's what's happening in the life of Jesus. He's just spoke about future events, and now he's, he's preparing his people what's going to happen really, really soon. And, and so what I want to do this morning is, is just, just cause us to think about if I did respond well to Jesus consistently, not just discovering who he is, but then living for him, what would that look like? And there's some action statements this morning. How, how would that happen? By doing certain things, by knowing certain things, by realizing certain things, by understanding certain things, and believing certain things. All right? So we got doing, we got uh, knowing, we've got realizing, we got understanding and believing. So what is that this morning? Well, let's look at it as we begin. Luke chapter 21, finishing off that chapter and then going into the next. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, this is Jesus, but at the evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. Now, what I want to do is kind of portray what's going on here, because this is, some, this is a day or some days in the life of Jesus. The night before or the day before, he's teaching, which he normally did, and when he, when he taught, uh, there were a crowd that would come around him. But he wasn't living in Jerusalem. He was at Jerusalem for Passover, and every male Jew that was within 15, year, 15 miles of the town of Jerusalem would want to get in Jerusalem to experience Passover in God's city. And so what had happened is that it was basically tent city outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem was swelling in terms of population, and that happens in certain places. Have you ever been to the Rose Parade in Pasadena? I mean, it gets a lot more, a lot more crowded during that period of time. And so they weren't living in Jerusalem proper, but they were outside in tents, and during the day they would come in, and they were ready for that day in which they would remember this significant time of celebrating what God had done in the past. Well, as Jesus was preparing people for what was going to happen next, which was going to be the cross, um, he was also speaking about what life is all about and who he was. And in verse 38, we have this very simple statement. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to what? Hear him or to listen to him. Now, there's certain things in the Bible that people like me can make sound very complicated and only reserved for the few who, who can use big words describing what happened in the Bible. But can I just say to all of us, there, there are things right there on the surface that are probably more meaningful than some of the, the weird stuff that people like me talk about, right? I, I think this is significant. As you think about people responding well to Jesus, people responding well to Jesus are willing to do whatever it takes to hear his message. Now, how many of you like to get up early in the morning? You got any early morning risers? We got five hands, six hands, eight hands, all right? The rest of you, you'd rather sleep in, right? And you're maybe more of a night person than a morning person. And, you know, what does it take for you to get up early in the morning? And you're saying, it's got to be pretty important for me to get up early in the morning. But I'm not really here to change morning people into night people or night people into morning people. But I do want to make this statement. For all of us, when it's important enough, we'll stay up later or get up earlier. Isn't that true? Isn't you found that true? If it's important enough, we'll set the alarm clock or we'll drink another cup of coffee to stay up later if it's important enough. 
And, and these people and I, and it's, it's kind of descriptive, all the people got up early in the morning to get up to get into the temple area. Why did they get up early? Because they knew Jesus would be there. I'm starting to talk fast. I've got to slow down a little bit. Okay. They, they, got, they got up early because they knew Jesus was going to be there. But they wanted to get up there early enough that they could get close enough to hear him, right? Because once the crowd gets, they'd be so far back, you know, they might miss it. And, and I just want to make a simple point for me and for you is that if I'm going to respond well to Jesus, this is the theme this morning, then, then I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get close to him. And you can take that in so many different ways in your life, right? What efforts do I do? What sacrifices am I willing to make? What priority list am I going to put in my schedule that I don't go through a whole week and say, you know, I didn't spend any time with Jesus this week. And I didn't open up the Word of God. I didn't, I didn't pray. I didn't spend time with other Christians. I didn't look at ways I could serve Him. I kind of just, I just live my past week like I, like I didn't have Him as a priority. And it's very straightforward. He, they got up early in the morning so that they could listen to him. And put in the opposite, if they hadn't got up early in the morning, they wouldn't have been able to what? Listen to him. So number one, respond well by doing whatever it takes so you can hear the message, spend time with Jesus. Secondly, and we're going to get this in the next this verse, chapter 22, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And I want to say that one reason I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be is that you can look at it, you can look at it historically, and this was not some Greek mythology story. This happened in a point in time, and, and you can examine what happened, and everything that happens in the, in the puzzle we put together in the life of Jesus fits. And as Jesus was said by John the Baptist, here, here, it, here stands the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. If he's going to take the sins of the world, he's going to do it on a day in which it's going to be so significant people are not going to miss it. He's going to do it on Passover, that, that, that time in which they celebrated what God had done in the past, picturing what God was going to do in the future. The, you know, if you try to what was the Passover all about? It's kind of shared with us in the word Passover. There came a time in the past when God delivered his people who were in bondage in Egypt and he, and he preserved them by passing over their sin. And passing them over the point that they did not experience what the Bible says everyone who has sinned should experience, death, separation from God. But because the blood that was applied to their home and their faith that this would be sufficient, that when the angel of death came to bring death of the firstborn of anyone who lived in Egypt, they would be passed over because the blood was applied to their life. Now, the Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach. And I don't know if you've ever, how many of you have ever had the opportunity to go to a Seder meal or Passover celebration, whether it be Messianic or whether it just be traditional? Raise those hands like you don't, you're, in, you're not volunteering for the nursery this morning, all right? So just, okay, so a number of you have, a number of you haven't. And so what I thought I'd do this morning is, is portray that a little bit and as I was sharing in the first service, sometimes what I do, in fact, this is normally how I prepare a sermon. I get, I, get, I get the outline, I get the guts of it, and then I just study like crazy, and then 
that I don't read my messages. So sometimes I get up here and go, you know, I got to start cutting this. This is not going to have enough time for it. So I, I've cut some things on the Seder meal or the Passover celebration. And what I want to do is give you the highlights of, of what this, this celebration or Passover experience was for the people of Israel as they remembered back to God's faithfulness. And, and see, if the story about Jesus is true, you know, we also look back at the time in which Jesus passes over our sin, not by the blood of a, of a lamb, a physical lamb, but because he, being the Lamb of God, gave his blood that our sins could be passed over, the legitimate guilt that we have before God could be forgiven. And as you look at this, and this has been celebrated since 1446 B.C., because that's how we would date, most of us would date, the the time in which the Exodus happened. Now, Exodus, if you're familiar with the Bible, you have the first book in the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, and it's, that word actually means beginnings. And, and then you have Exodus. And Exodus, X is out, Otis is way, and so it's, it's the way out. And, and what had happened is that God's people, and we need to realize that, that living with God and for God is awesome, but it's not always... It's not always what? It's not always easy. And if somehow you, you've been told that if you just come to Jesus, then everything's going to be perfect and right, and, and there's going to be no struggles or issues, then, then you didn't get the right message. And with all of God's people, whether it be God's people in the Old Testament or God's people in the New Testament until he comes again, it's never going to be easy, but it's going to be awesome as he goes through life with us. And God had uniquely um, called and chosen the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and the story begins. And then Joseph had been going through all kinds of difficult times, and he had been transported to Egypt, and God uniquely used him to save not only Egypt, but his own chosen people. And Genesis ends where 70 people of God's people go into Egypt. And when they go there, initially they're celebrated because they were the byproduct of of. of that Joseph, who had come into Pharaoh's court and had prepared them for the famine that was to occur. But, you know, what happens is, what the Bible comments on is that there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And four centuries later, when that 70 swelled to four million, they didn't see them as allies anymore, but as a threat. And Pharaoh begins to abuse God's people. And God's people are now enslaved and abused. And, and then God calls an unlikely person, Moses, who we know is a recovering murderer, into that place where he chooses him to set his people free. And, and that's the backdrop of Peshach, is that you have that Passover remembered about what God did. And what did God do? He delivered his people and gave them a way out, Exodus. And in, in Exodus chapter 12, and you can turn to that and read that later on, where, where God anoints a particular period of time and says, I'm going to change the, the calendar for you. This is now going to be the first of, the, of your calendar year because this is what happens first for you to be delivered. And he set up a, a rather um, ingenious way for them to remember, and, and we're just going to touch on it. One, in, in, in many of the 
celebration that you'll have candles, and the candles could be uh, light or glory or creation and redemption. And it really speaks again that, that God is the one who brings light into our world. And when he brings light into our world, what he does is he delivers us from what needs to be delivered from. And in the time of Exodus, they were to be delivered from their bondage to the people of Egypt. But as Pharaoh comes back, and if you're familiar with the story at all, or, or maybe you saw the movie The Ten Commandments or, or things like that, or, or The Prince of Thieves if you're a little bit younger, you know, the cartoon, is you realize that, that something miraculous happens. And when something miraculous happens, we, we need to give credit to where credit is due, and it's, it's God who delivers the people. And, and so he says, I, I want you to d- develop a feast in which you remember what has happened. And in the midst of all the details that happens, there are certain things that go on. And as those certain things go on, they, they ask, um, they, they bring the family together. And when they bring the family together, the, the father of the family has a script. This is not something where he's supposed to kind of shoot from the hip on. And in the midst of it, there are four major cups that will kind of progress um, the people, the Jewish people, through remembrance. And some will have four cups, but often what they'll say is one cup that's used four times. And I was speaking to um, Steve Morris, and uh, this is his heritage, and he says, uh, well, the one thing I remember about you know, observing the Passover, I got to drink four cups of wine when I was young. <laughs> but each one of them had a symbol, reminding them of the significance of what God had done. And, and the first cup, which was used before they even began the meal, was the cup of sanctification. Now, the, cup of, the, the word sanctification is kind of a religious word that sometimes we have associations with, and sometimes we go, oh, I have no idea what you mean by that. But the cup of sanctification was a, was a cup helping them to understand that they were a set-apart people. A set-apart people to, to live for God and to live in such a way that our lives would be peculiar because some people would say, well, why are you living that way? And, and who are you serving? And, and you're, you're trying to live a holy life. And, and as they took that, that first cup, it, it was to set them to that place of remembrance. And then there was a series of four questions that would be asked um, of the youngest son to the father. The first question was, why is this night distinguished from all other nights? On this night, we eat only unleavened bread. And then the second question is, on all other nights, we eat any kinds of herbs, herbs, but on this night, only bitter herbs. And the question is, why? On other nights, we do not dip, but tonight we dip twice. Why? And on this night, we all recline in our chairs at the table. Well, why? And, and this was their call for them to their heart and to their mind about what had happened in the past so they might live differently in the present. See, the things that God has given us in the Word of God is, is not just to intrigue us, but to change us. Because that is what it means to understand who God is and what He has done. And in light of who He is and what He has done, I want to live for Him and not for myself. So the first cup would begin the time in which they realized you need to understand that you are set-apart people. You are special people, not because you're better than anybody, but because I've reached out to take your life and draw your lives to myself. I've recognized your need, and on that night, unlike any other night, you're going to eat bread, and this bread will be matzah bread. Matzah bread is is not the most um, delicious type of bread you can ever eat. 
but it reminds them of a couple things. One is unleaven, which means no leaven in it, and leaven was symbolic of sin, is that you live for me, you should live not living for sin, things that are disobedient to me, but live according to my plan. Also, it is to remind them as they look at the bread that when they were to be delivered, they were to be delivered quickly. And sometimes we hang on to the things of this world when we follow after Jesus. And when we do that, we're hitching ourselves up to our past rather than looking to the future. And when they were to leave, they were to leave rapidly. So the meal or the presentation began with the first cup, sanctification. And then there was, a, there was another cup that was given. And, and it's named in a variety of different ways depending upon who you talk to and who you read and um, some call it the, the cup of deliverance. Some people c- call it the cup of freedom. Uh, probably a preferable one is it's the, it's the cup of plagues. Because as you recognize, as they were delivered, it was not going to be easy. And the power that was in that time was Pharaoh. And as Pharaoh was spoken to powerfully by Moses, you m- must let my people go, there was an initial response over and over and over again. It was the word no, 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 and no. And so what God did is he gave object lessons to Pharaoh, say, when you say no to God, there are consequences. And that's something for us to remind ourselves as well. When we say no to God, there's always consequences. We understand that, that what, you, what you sow is what you will what? You'll reap. And that was going to be the experience of Pharaoh and his people. But at the plate of the, the Passover meal, the, the Seder meal, there were, there were various elements, and we won't go through all of them, but... In those elements, it was a reminder of what they had experienced. There was, there was a cup of salt water, which would be dipped into twice. There, there was a mixture of, of nuts and apples, which would have a sweet taste to it. But when you mix it up, it was not the taste of it that was symbolic. It was what that mixture looked like because it was the mixture of mortar. And, and what had happened is that In the oppression of God's people, they were to build bricks for the kingdom of Pharaoh and his people. Uh, There there was horseradish and and bitter herbs. And and what they were to symbolize that that during their period of time of slavery, there there was bitterness in their experience. There was pain. And again, reminding us that, that walking with God does not always mean it's going to be without pain and suffering and challenge. And as we think about even simple things like the greens, the greens were that which would symbolize the hyssop that was used to apply the shank or the, the, the blood of the, of the lamb. And on each plate, there'd be a shank reminding them it was, it was by the blood of the lamb that were, they were set free. And so they would go through the experience and they would look at the cup of sanctification. They would look at the cup of plagues in which they were delivered from the plagues. And then, then there was the, the third cup. And this is a cup that Jesus is going to refer to when we look at Jesus instituting communion or the Last Supper or some call the Eucharist. And in that, it was, it was, the, it was the cup of redemption. 
And in that, we're reminded that what God does for us is as the creator and the redeemer, he's the one who created us. He brought us into life. And because of our sin and rebellion, we went far from him, but he brings us back. He redeems that which was originally his, but at a cost. And that cost was his blood. And in the fourth cup, there was the cup of praise. And as we look in a future, in, the, in a moment, at the, at the communion service that Jesus gives us, this is the cup he says, I will not partake of this cup until I, re, I come again. In, in the midst of the celebration, they would, sing, they would sing hymns of the faith, as we would describe it. They would sing parts, parts of, the, of the book of Psalms, Psalm 113 to 115, and Psalms 116 to 118. Reminding them it's God. It's about God and his goodness and provision for us. And so as we look and at Jesus preparing us to respond to him well, one is by doing whatever it takes to hear his message, but secondly, by knowing what has happened so we will be ready for what will happen. See, God has been faithful in the past, and the reason that we believe he'll be faithful in the future is because he has been faithful in the what? In the past. And also realize that everything God did in the past was for a purpose to prepare for the ultimate experience of God passing over people caught up in slavery. Sometimes when we talk about sin, we, we think of sin as something that is simply, you know, um, breaking God's arbitrary list of things you ought to do or not do, right? You know, that's naughty and that's, that's nice. That's naughty and that's, oh, that's Santa Claus, right? But, you know, that's how we kind of think that God is up there and he's just kind of picked out things that are good and what things are bad and you just have to go by it. But the truth is, is that sin is that which destroys and he wants to set us free from doing those things that harm us and others. And so Jesus, Jesus wanted to picture that in the past. Or God pictured that, the Father pictured it in the past, but looking forward to the one who's coming in the future. There's one other cup I did not show you already in this looking at back at, at the experiences. This cup is called the Elijah cup. The Elijah cup, and obviously that was not established at the beginning of the Passover celebration, but in Malachi chapter 4, it talks about the one who is to come to present who is the one who is to come, the Messiah. And today in traditional whether it be Reformed or Orthodox Jewish celebrations of Passover, they, they pick up the Messiah, I mean the Elijah cup, looking for Elijah to come and tell them the Messiah has come, the Messiah has come, and the Messiah has come. And of course, what we believe, asking the question, who is Jesus? He is the Messiah who has come to take away the sins of the world. And Messiah, the Elijah was, the type was John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. So as we think about responding well to Jesus, it begins by doing whatever it takes to hear from Jesus. Secondly, by, by knowing that what God has done in the past is a picture for what he's done in the present and for the future. But thirdly, we need to realize that not everyone responds to that message and realize that we're all going to be held accountable for our choices. And there's no better or greater picture of that than Judas. Look at Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 3. Oh, we begin at verse 2. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him, this is Jesus, to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And, 
And, and uh, yeah, this is not about spiritual, spiritual warfare this morning, but, but Satan has no foothold in anybody's life that he, that, that life has not invited Satan into. The reason we can be influenced by the evil one is we allow him to influence us. And Judas had cracked the door and Satan came in. And we're going to see how he had cracked the door earlier. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officials how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to pray him, to betray him to them apart from the crowd. So Judas becomes the avenue by which those who had hated Jesus were going to get to Jesus. And you wonder, well, how, how could Judas do that? I mean, it makes no sense. How would someone who lived three years with Jesus, seeing all the miracles, hearing all the messages that just uh, uh, confounded uh, the brightest minds of that day, who came to the point where they could never ask Jesus a question to trip him up because every time they asked him, they made themselves look like a fool, how could, he, how could he be with someone who lived a perfect, sinless life and yet betray him? Well, in many ways, it's just like us because we allow sin to, to capture our heart and mind and we'll go down that path. And we won't turn to it. In John chapter 12, we have the experience of, of Mary showing her love for Jesus by, by breaking a, a jar of very expensive perfume and just anointing his head and his, his feet and wiping it with his, her hair. And Judas comes back with a response, and it makes it sound really spiritual. Do, have you, do you ever say something spiritual but really doesn't really reflect what's on the in heart, you know, on the, in part, the innermost part of your heart? And, and Judas says, well, could, couldn't we have used that money and given it to the poor? I mean, what she did with that perfume was probably amount, the amount of money for one year's wages, 300 denarii. So Judas makes that comment, and he sounds pretty good. Well, he really loves the poor. But then it goes on and it says in John chapter 12, but, but really what was happening is he, he wanted to save that for himself because he being the one who was in charge of, of their resources had been pilfering from New American Standard money in their treasury. And, and so what had happened is we think about this, it wasn't that, that Judas all of a sudden got caught up in a, a, a fit of emotion and just wanted to somehow betray Jesus. He had been betraying Jesus Month in and month out, month in and month out. Because money was more important to him than the master. And what we need to realize, sometimes we think people are getting away with things. Sometimes we think we're getting away with things. But we need to, we need to realize that we'll all be accountable to the choices we make. And the source of sin is when we're caught up by our own desires and let it go the direction our desires want to go rather than where God wants to lead us. So how do we respond well to Jesus? By, by doing whatever it takes to get close to Jesus, by knowing that what God had done in the past is, is a picture of what he's going to do in the future. Thirdly, it's the idea of realizing that we're going to be accountable for the choices we make. And then fourthly, by understanding that Jesus always has everything under control. You know, one of the reasons we, we stop faithfully following Jesus is because, you know, things are getting messy and we're wondering, where, where, where is God? Is he going to show up, right? Or he, he's asking us to do some things that we feel we just really can't do. Well, it's almost a humorous story. Look at Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 7. Then came the first day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they're thinking, wait a minute. Sometimes the simplest things people ask you to do are the hardest things. Have you ever found that out? And they're thinking, Jesus, don't, don't you realize what's happening? Is that Jerusalem is swelling. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the New Year's Day parade in Pasadena. There are people everywhere. You want us to go into Jerusalem and find a place to have Passover? That should have been done a long time ago. You should have sent the reservations in ahead. And so verse 9 says, they, they said to him, uh, where do you want us to prepare it? Uh, we have, we're clueless. There, there is no, there's no room at the inn, all right? And, and they've forgotten that Jesus is always in control. And, and he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, following him into the house that he enters. And they're, they're probably thinking, uh, that doesn't help us either. If you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people I was up to maybe 2 million people in Jerusalem proper. We're supposed to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, that's, uh, that, the odds aren't very good we're going to run into him. Oh, oh and by the way, uh, really men don't carry water. I hate to say this, uh, women, but it was, it was women's work to carry the water. So I said, not only, this is so unusual, that's not going to happen. Oh, and then, then he says, and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? I said, you've got to be kidding. There aren't going to be any guest rooms available. This is Passover. They've been lined up for a long time. Everything is taken. You ever try to get a parking space, you know, when, the, when there's a crowded group going someplace? There, there's not going to be a guest room available. But... Because he's Jesus, they, they, they go ahead in verse 12, and he will show you a large furnished room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Can I just submit this to all of us? We respond well to Jesus when we do what he says, even though it doesn't make sense a lot. You know, sometimes just asking people, who, who do you think Jesus is? Wouldn't that be a great question for all of us to ask somebody this week? Who do you think Jesus is? And just get in a conversation with somebody. Or, or be obedient to a command. You have a hard time forgiving people sometimes? You ever have a hard time being kind and loving to people who aren't kind and loving to you? Do you have a hard, do, do you, is, it, is it difficult not to hold on to a grudge? You know, and say, I, I'm going to... Whatever it might be. Is it, it's easier to want to be treated a certain way than treat other people that way. Are, you, are we all connecting here? And yet, that's what Jesus wants us to do because he's in control of everything, but we have a choice to make, right? Is that how we're going to live? And they, they went and did. I mean, I don't think God's going to ask you to, create, to, to put Passover someplace in some crowded area of, of uh, South Orange County, but he's going to ask us to do the simplest things for him. And yet, are we going to believe that he's going to go with us to do it? But then Jesus going on, this is how we want to conclude this morning. Not only do we need to be doing what needs to be done to get close to Jesus, not only do we need to know that, that it's, it's Jesus who has been faithful in the past and all that he's done in the past, and that means we can trust him in the future, and that's pictured in Passover. Not only realizing that, that we need to realize that there are, our, our choices has, have consequences, either for good or for bad, we not only realize that um, he wants us to understand that he's got everything under control, but we got to believe. Ultimately, this is all about responding well to Jesus. 
believing in the messenger and the message that he has. And, and we could spend more time on this, but here, here, here's where his disciples, and sometimes we think his, you ever think the disciples had a lot better off than we do? I mean, Jesus was right in front of them, right? I mean, you, how can you, you can't, you can't be uh, confused if, if the master teacher is right there, but I'm sure they were confused all the time because sometimes he said things that just didn't make sense. He was going to take this table, the Passover table, and change everything about it. Let's read the account. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour had come, he, this is Jesus, reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's, their head is spinning right now. Oh, wait a minute, you're right here, not going to be here. This is our last time together. And that's why they call this supper the what supper? The, the last supper, because it, it's not going to happen until he comes again. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, in case you ever wonder, why does some people call the last supper or communion the Eucharist? Because it comes from the word thanks. It comes from the text. Eucharist, the word literally means, charis means to give freely, and ooh means well, so to, to give freely well, and to translate in our language, we would say to give thanks. So give thanks, and he says, take this and share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So he said it to him twice. If, if God says something once, you ought to listen, but if he says it twice, it's going to be on the what? on the test. He said, look, I want you to understand, this is the last supper until I return. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying this, this matzah bread? It's you? That this, this symbol of, of leaving quickly as you brought us out of Egypt, you set us free, that, that the real big picture is that you are the bread that sets us free, your body, your sacrifice, you being the true Lamb of God that can forgive us of all our sin, that, that's what you're saying this means? And then he goes on and says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant with my blood. You're now saying that this cup, and there were four cups which we drank wine. One was a cup of sanctification. One was a, a cup of plagues, freedom from the plagues. And one was the cup of redemption. And the one we haven't got to yet, the cup of praise, that this cup of redemption is you? It's not the... The blood that was put on the, the doorposts, that it's talking about your blood. And obviously we need to realize that, you know, at communion, I or anyone else doesn't pray a prayer that somehow transforms the elements into the actual body of Jesus or the blood of Jesus. Jesus only died once, and when he gave the communion or the Last Supper, or the Eucharist, or the Passover fulfilled. He was physically in front of them. His, his, his 
blood was not dripped into the cup. His body was not shaved out that they ate of. These were symbols to portray what he was to do when he went to the cross, died for his sins, rose again, and and now reigns in heaven. And, And so as they heard this, wait a minute, wait a minute. The bread now is your body, and the cup is now not the the symbol of the blood in the Old Testament that was put on the doorposts of the Israelites. It's the blood that is to be applied to our lives symbolically, believing that Jesus died in our place. And when we say Jesus uh, died in our place, it means we deserve that death because it was the penalty of our sins. He took that for us. And it's His blood which allows our sin to be passed over and the death that we deserved, not that an animal took it, but Jesus took it. So what, is it, what does it take to respond well to Jesus? In an active way, we do whatever it takes to listen to Jesus, to get close to him. Getting up early, staying up late at night, it's not the specifics, it's do we make time to be with Jesus? Realizing that all of God's word is fulfilled in Jesus. That's... That's what knowing what has been done in the past has been fulfilled in Jesus. Thirdly, it's realizing there are consequences. Like Judas, Judas made his choice. He compromised in little things, and then he ended up compromising in the big thing, rejecting who Jesus is. Thirdly, it's, it's understanding that Jesus has everything under control. So when we go through life and it's, it's filled with challenge, realizing he's still got it under control. But it gets to the point, what do you believe? Do you believe in the messenger? And if you believe in the messenger, you can believe his message. And what is his message? All who come to God must come through the blood of Jesus Christ. I leave us all with this question. How are you responding? And responding to Jesus is always in the present tense. It begins in the past. At a point in time, or for some of you this morning, might begin today. And then it is to continue on. I want to keep doing what needs to be done. I want to keep knowing what has happened in the past is true in the present and the future. I want to continue to realize there are consequences for my actions. I want to continue understanding that he's got things under control. And I still believe in the messenger and his message.